My name is Wayne Thompson. Welcome to the QMJHL OHL All-Star Challenge. We've been waiting for this for quite some time now with berated breath and uh, being down here the last two days watching the club's practice. We are going to see some exciting hockey this evening. There's no doubt about that. Eric Lindros, of course, the Oshawa Generals uh, centerman, six foot four, 220 pounds, will be involved in this hockey game. And we look forward to an exciting contest from him. Over 100 scouts are in the building this evening to catch this contest for what could very well be a lot of NHL superstars in the future. Also for uh, Quebec on their side, Stéphane Fissette, who of course Sean for the World Junior Hockey Club over in Helsinki, Finland. He will start in goal this evening for the Quebec side. Jack Miller from Brockville, from Belleville rather, Jack Miller and Fred Pletch from the Cornwall Royals Hockey Club bringing you the play-by-play this evening, let's shoot upstairs right now to Fred Pletch and Jack Miller. Wayne, we're going to hear from Fred and Jack in a little bit, but first you're going to have to deal with myself, Lucas Boncari, host of Let's Remember Some Sports Podcast, and my guest for episode number 24 in Sault Ste. Marie, Brad Cochimilio. Brad, we spent the last 20 minutes discussing the 92 Detroit Tigers, so we're in a good mood to record this episode. Uh, no kidding. Anytime we can talk about Skeeter Barnes and Danny Gladden and Rob Deere and Travis Fryman, like anytime we can do that, Bill Gullickson, anytime we can talk about those guys, it's a good day. Bands, when was the last time you thought about Scott Livingston in a public space? <laughs> or Rico Bronia, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, if it's us every week. Anyway, um, th this episode was one that Brad and I came across while searching YouTube one day, and I said, we have to do this. And it is the 1990 Chrysler Challenge Cup from Cornwall, Ontario, between the OHL All-Stars and the QMJHL All-Stars. To say how we're excited about doing building, this is an understatement. Yeah, how great was that building, by the way? <laughs> it, they still use that for the Cornwall Colts and this uh, CCHL. Well, that's just it, right? Like, that's a, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was, for junior hockey, that was a great building at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess we'll start off with the fact of the Interleague CHL All-Star Games. This, this kind of thing, because you see it later on where Dub and the O would combine to play each other and that kind of thing. This has been replaced, yep. theoretically, Brad, even with the Interdivision All-Star Games between leagues by the Canada-Russia series and the Top Prospects game. Right. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the thing, right? It's, you know, it's very different. I almost... In some ways, I almost wish we could have something similar to that where, you know, the three leagues even put together one all-star team and have like a weekend tournament. Um, you know, let's face it, it would be a lot of fun to, you know, to put those groups together and get legit the best players in each league and just bring them together even for, you know, even for a weekend, have the three leagues you know, basically set it up where they have a weekend in their schedule or, you know, a four or five day stretch in their schedule where they can send, you know, send them where you send them to one city and you you almost alternate it like the Memorial Cup where, you know, you send them to one city every year and, you know, maybe have it in the Memorial Cup city, you know, send them to a city every year and say, okay, here's the three best teams. We're going to have a weekend tournament where everybody, you know, either, you know, you play each other once or, you know, have something interesting because let's face it, it seems like a lot of fun and, you know, it was it was a lot of fun to watch and it was interesting to see how seriously the leagues were taking it as well. I, I don't know. I think the 1988-89 Prince Albert Raiders might not be fans of the All-Star game. See that Mike McDaniel's career at the Raiders basically ended due to an injury yeah. suffered in an All-Star game. But that's another story for another day if that game ever gets posted on YouTube. I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, so as mentioned, we're in Cornwall on Cable 11. It's basically what's now Kojiko slash your TV, depending on the region. It's right. Rogers slash McLean Hunter, which was definitely a throwback with the McLean Hunter Cable Company, for Ontario yeah. listeners at least. Uh, your announced team for this one, the intro is done by Wayne Thompson, as you heard. Your announcers, though, Fred Pletch, future CCHA commish, and yeah. the real star of the show, Jack Miller, Belleville Bulls legend. Yeah, there was uh, there was a couple Belleville connections in that uh, in that game. Jeff Fife, the goalie for uh, for the OHL team, played the entire game in that one. Um, you know, which was the interesting thing that Bell, that like that Belleville team that he played for that year. That was uh, you know like Rob Pearson, who was also in this game, was on that team. Um, uh, Brent Gretzky was on that team. I hear he's got a brother that was kind of okay at hockey. Keith. Um, yeah. Uh, Darren McCarty was on that team. For any Sioux listeners, there was there was actually five Sioux St. Marie ties on that team at one point during the during the year. Jeff Fife's goaltending partner late in the year and part of the playoffs was Rob Stobar, a Sioux native. Uh, Brian Helmer, who's a longtime pro, uh, played a handful of games for them that year. Um, Len Devoto, who played in Ottawa briefly in the OHL as well, um, was on that team. Kevin McKay, the McKay name in, in, in the Sioux is obvious is, is very common, um, you know, in hockey circles. You know, he played a he played part of the year. I think he played, I want to say, close to half the year that year before he got traded. Um, and actually, the other interesting one was um, at the time he was known as John Porco. Now John Parco's name, uh, he changed his last name a little bit um, fairly recently. Um, and that when he was playing overseas, but uh, he was one of their leading scorers that year in Belleville. So a lot of uh, a lot of suit ties. And the interesting suit tie there was uh, was Danny Flynn was the head coach of that Bulls team, and that was right before uh, I think that was the that was the year before he joined the Sioux Greyhounds, and they ended up going on their three straight Memorial Cup runs. So that's your uh, that's your Sioux Saint Marie content for uh, for this week's episode for this episode. <laughs> we were discussing this on Facebook beforehand. The only guy I, like I didn't look at it because I didn't want to. Attempt to try and guess before we did it, but the only guy like I think John was the only guy I would have probably gotten, and I tried to guess. Yeah. Other and the other interesting note, and it just just occurred to me too, is there's another familiar name for Ottawa Senators fans on that Belleville team, but it's recent Belleville team or a recent uh, Senators team is um, Norm Batherson, whose son. Drake is an Ottawa, was an Ottawa Senators prospect, so... Um, you, he's coming... By, you said he mentioned it because he's about to come up in a little bit. More on that in a minute. Yeah, he uh, he played, I think, only, he only played a handful of games for the Bulls that year, but it was interesting kind of going through it. It was funny because I saw the name, and I'm like, I wonder if that's any relation, and sure enough, looked it up, and it's like, yeah, father of Drake. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, during the intro, uh, Wayne Thompson says, we're waiting for this game with berated breath. I'm not sure that's the phrase. Yeah, that's definitely not. <laughs> also, he says Jack is from Brockville. I'm like, oh, no, no. No, no. Don't tell anybody from Belleville you said that. <laughs> so this is the fifth I... annual Chrysler Challenge Cup game. The, in- the player intros are going on as the players are coming out, to which I, when I first watched, I'm like, oh, no. How am I going to be able to find the full rosters? Thankfully, I did some email sleuthing thanks to Taylor Roca. Yeah. In the WHL, Josh Sweetland over your buddy there in the OHL, yep. that guy thinks. Speaking of Belleville ties. <laughs> and we got from Herb Morrill, the OHL's director of administration, 
the game sheet from the 1990 Chrysler Challenge Cup. Yeah, her her moral as a guy who can always come through with that kind of stuff. He is, you know, there's a lot of great guys at the league office, and Herb's definitely up there. So here is the full roster. I won't give you every single stat for guys, otherwise it'll be a 20-hour podcast. But we'll kind of give you the main as we go along here. We'll start with the Q and Brad. You can chime in here once we're done. Um, yeah. So the head coach is Guy Chouinard of the Victoriaville Tigres. Um, point per game player when he played in the National Hockey League or in the NHL Atlanta, Calgary, St. Louis for a decade and was also a star of the Ramparts back in the 70s. Assistant from Victoriaville, Yves Lambert. Uh, goaltender, number one, Pierre Gagnon, who was a top goalie in the queue that year. Defense, number two, Francois Groslou from Shawinigan, Defensive Rookie of the Year. Claude Barr from Victoriaville, Defenseman of the Year. Forward, Martin Saint-Amour from Trois-Rivières, a second-round pick by Montreal 1988. Number 11 from the Hall Olympique, QMJHL MVP Andrew McKim. Uh, from Drummondville, Steve Chartrand, who had played a little bit that year at the Newmarket Saints in the AHL. Uh, defenseman and the Q's top pros prospect from Hall, Carl Dykhouse. Pierre Seminier of St. Hyacin, a third-round pick on Montreal 1989. Uh, Claude Boyvan, Drummondville and Laval that season, 14th overall pick by the Flyers in 1988. St. John and Victoriaville, Francois LaRue, 19th overall pick in 1988 uh, by the Edmonton Oilers. Played in five games, have one assist that season, 1989-1990. From Laval, some rookie of the year guy named Martin Lapointe. Never heard of him. <laughs> From Trois-Rivières, Steve LaRue, second-round pick by the Montreal Canes in 1989. From St. John, Victoriaville in season, Patrick LeBeau, uh, who was the top scorer that year in the queue. Brad, eighth-round pick for Montreal in 1989. He only had 174 points that year. Sounds like an off-year. Sounds like an off-year in the queue for scoring, indeed. Patrice Breezeball from Laval, the top defensive scorer uh, in the queue that season with 88 points. Yan Alston of St. Jean with 145 points that year. Uh, Stefan Fisset, CHL Goal of the Year 1989 and part of Canada's World Junior Gold Medal team. We'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit as well. Fisset with Victoriaville. Uh, second round pick by the Nordiques in 88. From Austria, Hall defenseman Herbert Honberger. Uh, Daniel Dore, fifth overall pick by the Quebec Nordiques in 1988, playing Shakutami. From Long College, Paul Willette. And rounding things out, Reginald Savage of Victoriaville, 15th overall pick by Washington in 1988. Thoughts on the Q roster, Brad? Yeah, I mean, you know, talk about a talk about a high end group, right? I mean, you know, it's it's funny when you look at this group because you see, you know, the names that stand out are, you know, Fize, um, you know, Lapointe, but you know, like again, like Daniel Dore was, you know, he was a guy who had a, had a heck of a game in this one, and um, you know, again, a lot of talent, and you know, these games were always interesting because. You know, you're seeing, you know, you're seeing groups, especially for the Ontario fans, like the Cornwall fans, like, you know, you're seeing a group that, you know, these are names that you only hear about necessarily, right? It's not necessarily a group that, you know, you're seeing on a regular basis, but this was, uh, you know, there was a lot of guys that went on to, you know, went on to pro careers that, you know, they mentioned it, you know, early on in the intro of that one that, you know, there were guys who were going to go on to play in the NHL on both groups and, you know, we saw that with the uh, with the Quebec team where, you know, there was some real high, high-end talent on that group. And the thing with Quebec, too, I think part of it that helps with this game is, obviously, I mean, I think most people know this, but for those that don't, for our younger audience, uh, Cornwall was in the queue during their peak before they moved over to the yeah. OHL. So, obviously, you still have a lot of people that, you know, follow the queue especially. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing, right? And that's, you know, for me, that's probably what made you know, Cornwall a really good choice to host a game like this because of their history in both leagues. Um, you know, I mean, you know, some of the older fans that would have been at that game would, 
you know, would certainly know it. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like we were talking 20 years before this game happened. Like, you know, we're talking in the 80s where, you know, that Cornwall Royals team was playing in, in, in the Quebec League. So, you know, it, w- it was very recent, um, you know, in, in that regard. And, you know, again, it's, it's these are exciting games regardless. And, you know, I mean, this, like I said earlier, this would be something that I would love to, you know, I would love to see it come back just for the idea that, you know, you could get the best players in all the leagues together to play against each other. More on Cornwall in a little bit. Anyway, uh, or a little bit, let's just take three hours into this podcast. Uh, let's go to the OHL side of things. Head coach Dick Todd, who'd been the coach of the Pete since 81. The assistant, Mark Crawford, who yeah. at this point is in his pretty much his very first head coaching gig. I've been a player assistant in the IHL to Milwaukee Admirals the year before. Uh, had played for Cornwall in 80 and 81. He went back-to-back Memorial Cups in the queue. And then off and on career of Vancouver uh, for about a decade there. Uh, the OHL roster, defenseman Adam Bennett from the Sudbury Wolves, sixth overall pick by Chicago in 1989. Finished blue liner from Ottawa, 67, Joni Lato. Uh, Ottawa, 67, blue liner Chris Snell. Kingston Frontenacs for Mike Bonnerchuk, as mentioned by Brad. The 12th overall pick by Toronto in 1989 NHL draft, Rob Pearson of the Belleville Bulls. Uh, ninth, wearing number nine, the OHL and CHL Player of the Year, Mike Ricci of the Peterborough Peets. Brad May of the Niagara Falls Thunder. Olin Nolan of the Cornwall Royals, who everybody's very excited to see. Uh, for yeah. some reason. I don't know why. Steven Rice of the Kitchener Rangers. 24 overall pick by the New York Rangers in 1989. Third round pick by the Winnipeg Jets in 1989 from Cornwall Jason Cerrone. Not playing in this game, but was introduced uh, wearing number 15. Mike Craig of the Oshawa Generals. Second round pick at Minnesota in 1989. Bob Berg of the Valville Bulls. Uh, Jason York, who was started here in Windsor, was traded to Kitchener as part of the Memorial Cup run. Paul DiPietro for the Sudbury Wolves. Randy Pierce of the Kitchener Rangers. Either wearing 20, 25, or 55, I'm not sure which because the announcer butchered it, is Drake Barahowski, who was injured that season with the Kingston Frontenacs. John Slaney, OHL and CHL Defense of the Year of 97 points for the Cornwall Royals. Paul Holden, a second round pick by the LA Kings, played the London Knights. Todd Bosch of the Peterborough Peets. Jeff Fife, who Brad mentioned earlier, the Belleville Bulls. The OHL scoring champion that year for the Niagara Falls Sun of 127 points, Keith Primo. And some guy by the name of Eric Lindros, who had come over about a month prior from that trade where his rights were dealt from the Sioux Greyhounds of the Oshawa Generals, started the year 52 points in 14 games for CompuWare in the North American Hockey League. Also, your stick boy for this game, Barkley Branch, Roll Corruption. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I mean, the interesting thing, and I, I they mentioned it during the broadcast itself. I believe it was Jack Miller mentioned this, and typical Jack Miller having his homework done was... You mentioned, uh, you mentioned, I believe it was Drake Barowski's number, um, you know, and how it changed. And the interesting thing was all but two guys who played in the game were wearing their numbers from their club team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like Adam Bennett wore number two, Yoni Leto wore number four on the teams they played for. The only two guys that weren't were Jeff Fife and Rob Pearson. Right. Two of the three Belleville players. So, uh, I think I think the idea was Fife wore twenty nine in Belleville, and I think Rob Pearson wore six. But they agreed to take I, and Pearson. I think was a late add. Yes, well, when did that to go along here? It's in one of my notes. Yeah, so I mean, he was a late add to this team, but so realistically, Jeff Fife was the only one not wearing the only original add to the or the only original player named to the roster that was wearing a different number than the one he wore during club play with the Bulls so I found that actually super interesting because they never would have 
I mean, let's face it, it never would have occurred to us. And, you know, talk about a broadcaster doing his homework, right? It's like Jack's really good. Who knew? <laughs> anyway, um, when it comes to this, so you would have been going to O games, I think, at this point. I'm two. I'm not going to O games yet. Uh, I'm one. I'm not even two yet. I'm definitely not going to OHL games yet. Yeah. Um, how many of these guys do you remember seeing? As, I mean, a lot of the big names, obviously, you would have remembered. But yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's guys here that you probably it's a throwback for you from when you saw them in the league at that point. Yeah, I mean, realistically, like, there's a good chunk of guys, like, you know, I remember Keith Primo and stuff, because this was literally when I first started going to the games. Like, I went, that 89-90 year, you know, I probably went to a handful of games with my dad. It was the following year where I actually had season's tickets here in the Sioux. Um, So pretty much every guy on that team that played the following, and played in the O the following year, I would have saw as you know, as an OHL player, and, you know, like you said, it's interesting to see some of these guys, like, I remember Keith Primo as a junior, I remember Eric Lindros as a, you know, as a junior player, and I mean, I, Really? I, Eric know, Lindros? I, he was yeah. not even hyped at all when he was playing in junior. And I mean, I'd be, you know, I'd be lying if I, you know, if I said I remembered a ton about them, but, like, you know, I remember seeing these guys play, for sure, when, you know, when they were in junior, and it's always interesting to see stuff like this, where it's like, you know, I don't think you real necessarily realize how good some of these guys actually are, but then you go back and see this stuff, and it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. So there's no O and Q games on this night. However, there were three WHL games that were taking place that day, and thanks to my newspapers.com description, I was able to find box scores. So I'll quickly run through these. Moose Jaw 4, Brandon 3. Of note in that game, um, the winning goal score 210 left at the crush cam for Moose Jaw by Scott Longstaff. Three assists by Scott Hamannock led the way in that one. Rob Harvey with two goals. For Brandon, a two-goal performance by Troy Frederick. And your goaltenders in that game. Jason Fitzsimmons with 22 saves from Moose Jaw. Now a Washington Capitals scout. And with 29 saves, 11th overall pick in that year's draft by Calgary, Trevor Kidd. Oh, Trevor Kidd. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely a well-known name in, in junior hockey circles at that time. Med Hat 7, Saskatoon 5. There's a lot to go through here. <laughs> Um, in the Med Hat game, two goals and assists for Kevin Knopp, who was on the 87 Tigers and 89 Broncos Memorial Cup Championship teams. Travis Green, current head coach in Vancouver, two goals and an assist in that one. Tage and Tice Thompson's dad, Brent Thompson, had an assist in that one. Jason Kerlack, who had two monster scoring seasons in 92 and 93 of Swift Current, had an assist. Yep. The aforementioned Norm Batherson was on Med Hat's roster at this point. He had an assist. And with 31 games, a guy who started the year with Saskatoon, your friend and mine, Cam Moon. Oh, Mooner. What would we do without you? <laughs> it's a typical, it's obligatory Mooner reference in the Brad Cotchmilio appearance. As for Saskatoon, <laughs> um, the goal and assist for Dean Holine and Jason Christie. Christie, a coach in the ECHL Jacksonville. Scott Sissons, who was sixth overall pick in 1990. Buddy Islanders, now coach of Saskatoon Blazers under 18 program, had an assist. Current Regina Pats head coach, Dave Struch of a goal. And with 24 saves, Trevor Robbins, the father of current Blades forward. Well, we'll see depending on what happens next season. Either yeah. playing with the Blades as an overager or in the San Jose Shark system, Tristan Robbins. You gotta love the uh, gotta love the throwback to some of these, and it's it's interesting to see. You know, it's interesting to see the guys that played at that time, and you hear the broadcaster, like the NHL guys, say it all the time. It's like. I remember doing games when this kid's father was in the league. Well, it's like, you know, we're seeing that at the junior level too, where it's like, 
you know, talking about some of these guys where it's like, hey, you know, this guy had a really good year in 1990. His kid's playing in the league now. It's uh, it's interesting, but I mean, it's a good interesting, right? It's, you know, and you can see in some cases where these kids get their, um, you know, where these kids get their skill from as well. If Robbie Drummond's kid makes the lead, I might start quitting my job as a beat reporter. That's not going to officially feel old. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, no doubt. The other big game of the day, uh, this is actually the most historic game of the day in the WHL, Spokane 5, Victoria 3. The reason why that's important, the Victoria Cougars have just set a league record in losses, 26 in a row, breaking a record of 25 set by the 1981 New Westminster Bruins. They would lose 34 games in a row before an 8-5 home triumph over Portland on February 14th. I believe the word we're looking for here, Brad, is pain. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. T and Rocky 3 would be very proud of that. Uh, for Spokane, Steve Junker had two goals to lead the way in that one. Also a goal for Ray Whitney and Pat Falloon. You may have heard of those guys. Um, Kerry Toprosky's son Luke and is playing with Spokane now. Had an assist. Jeff Ferguson, 27 saves for Spokane. For Victoria, Corey Jones, 37 saves. Uh, your goal scores are interesting. Guy who came from Kamloops, uh, Trevor Buchanan, had two goals and assists with a 10th round pick by Hart for 1989. A goal and assist for Milan Dragasevich, whose son Lucas was a fourth overall pick last year by Tri-City in the WHL draft. He'll be entering the league full-time this season. And Dean Dyer had an assist. Dean Dyer was a fourth-round pick in 88 from Har- Har- yeah, by Hartford out of Lake State, and he left for Victoria that season. Dean, what were you thinking? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, some would say those Lake State teams at that time were um, kind of decent. Uh, today on Bad Life Choices. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody called the coaching staff for the 89-90. Brad's got connections. Anyway, uh, more of the pregame side of things. Now, the MC at one point says, I got to read it in French also, which I found fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, go ahead. You know what I found interesting, too, was... Um, when they when they threw it up to uh, when they threw it up to Jack and Fred in the booth, I found it super interesting that they were sitting down to do their intro. Yeah, well, they're already, like, set up in the booth. But I'm yeah, guessing that's how the, the only way to get the camera set up in there? Yeah, like, I wonder because, I mean, that just seems, you know, like, I, I've seen them set up where, you know, like, you know, like the, the shot broadcast locally in the Sioux where, you know, everything's very tight where, you know, where the broadcasters, where Gino Cavallo, Mark Mentier, the local broadcasters do their game from, it's very tight. But, like, you know, they've never once done it where they've been sitting down. They're always standing up facing the camera where this one it was like okay well you know we're just gonna put you guys in in your seats and we'll just put the camera off to the side it was like it was i don't know it struck me as it seemed like it was a bit of an afterthought almost and i i you know it wasn't i mean i know there's a lot of thought that goes into it but like it just it seemed so strange that um you know that they were sitting down and it wasn't just a one-time thing like they were sitting down in the pregame and the postgame mm-hmm. stuff which I've actually got a note on the post-game stuff as well. Yeah, we'll get that because the clip for that will be the outro as well. Um, Brian O'Neill, the executive vice president of the NHL, is in the building, which means I can reference this. This is from an article from the Ottawa Citizen the day after the game. I sent this to Brad uh, a couple weeks ago now. Um, yeah. Among the many NHL league and club officials attending the, uh, the first-class banquet before 100 preceding the game was NHL executive Brian O'Neill, who praised the junior Nats ever and noted the $2.5 million in development money paid to the major junior hockey by the NHL. Sue Greyhounds Governor Sherry Bassett speaks. 
Thank yeah. you for the two point five million. Just think of how good we we'd be if uh, we'd be if we got the one point eight million you gave to the Russians. What Sherry forgot yeah. to say was that money was paid for only four players, added Ottawa City Sevens coach and general manager Brian Kilray. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh, Sherry Bassin. Sherry Bassin might be, and to randomly plug another OHL junior hockey related podcast, he was on uh, OHL Stories with Mike Farwell and Chris Pope, who do a great job as well, you know, kind of promoting the league and. If you want to hear a guy tell stories, listen to the Sherry Bassett episode of the, the OHL Stories podcast. It's it's like an hour and a half, but well worth it just to listen to Sherry Bassett speak. He might be one of the best storytellers in junior hockey. Uh, also, back to, back to this, I mean, you can pause this and just listen to Sherry and come back later. But anyway... Uh- <laughs> The MC almost forgets the president of the QMJHL, Jill Scorto, and David Branch, who gets booed. Sunrise, sunset. Yeah. <laughs> the refs are also booed. It's a glorious... It's, junior hockey has never changed, folks. And yeah. the players at Stafford World Juniors are honored before the game that were there. Now, I'll mention the staff, the, the players, because this is an interesting roster. Um, your head coach is Guy Sharon, who was part of the national team program at the time. Assistants Dick Todd and then Nate head coach Perry Pern. Goalie Stefan Fisay and Trevor Kidd. Defense, Patrice Breezebois, Kevin Haller, the Regina Patch, Jason Herter of the North Dakota Fighting Sioux, Stuart Malgunas of Seattle, Adrian Plavisevic, Plavis, or Plavis, bleh. welcome to Lucas Butcher's names. Adrian Plavisic, I think is how you say it, from the Peoria Riverman yeah. of the IHL, Dan Rashuni of Cornell, your forward, Stu Barter of Tri-City, Dave Chizowski of New York Islanders, the aforementioned Mike Craig, Chris Draper from the National Team Program, Eric Lindros, Kent Manderville of Cornell, Mike Neenum of Cantaloupes, Dwayne Norris of Cautious Boys, Michigan State, Scott yeah. Pellerin of Maine, Maine, Mike Ricci, Stephen Rice, and Wes Walls of the Leftbridge Hurricanes. It's a smorgasbord of programs and teams there, Brad. Yeah, I think my favorite might be Wes Walls, though. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, hockey needs more names like that. Like, we need more Wes Walls and Zarly Zalopsky. We need more names like that around hockey. We need more names I can butcher. More than that as this game goes on. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, but before we get to that, a quick word from our sponsor. The OHL QMJHL Challenge Cup is brought to you by the Parks and Recreation Department for the City of Cornwall. We remind you that the swimming lessons for toddlers, children, teenagers, adults, and seniors are available at the Kinsman Municipal Center. Also being offered at the Kinsman Municipal Center is a variety of recreational swims, plus synchronized swimming and competitive swimming. For more information, please call 933-3586. Throughout this game, ads from the Parks and Rec Department from the City of Cornwall. And typical late 80s, early 90s graphics. Like, let's be honest, the graphics have come a long, long (laughs) way in the last 30 years. And... Yeah, it was, you know, it was colorful, it was something, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, that was, you know, when it was funny, when it was kind of, when you kind of let me know some of the stuff we were going to talk about, it was, the one note I made next to that time slot was old school graphics. <laughs> I also do like the like, tech, the yeah, 80s sounding I mean, techno beat. Grunge had not well, taken I mean, effect yet. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, let's face it, they never changed. Like, everything was pretty well 
you know, very close. It might be different colors. It, it looks different, but like it was like everyone had the same basic process when it came down to actually putting graphics into games like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, your goaltending matchup is basically all the way through the game, Fiset versus Jeff Fife, and then Jack Miller goes, let me tell you a good story about Jeff Fife. I'm paraphrasing this, but a 17-year-old, he came to camp, made a team, decided he needed more time in Junior B. Danny Flynn darn near traded him to the London Knights last year, we're told. Yeah, yeah and, and you know what? I mean, that's, you know, again, we touched on, you know, broadcasters and, you know, being good at what they do and kind of taking it a step further. And that's what that's all about, right? Is, you know, that's why you have guys like Jack. And I mean, Jack's been around it. You know, now he's doing American Hockey League games with the with the Belleville Senators. But, you know, that's what Jack is. I mean, you know, they're, you know, broadcasters at that level. And I will say this about even the current guys. They are some of the, mo- they are most, some of the most well-prepared broadcasters out there. And I mean, it's like that at every level, but... You know, you have to be, and especially with games like this, you have to be as prepared as possible. And I've I've told this story before, not to go on too long, but when in college, I remember touring the TSN studio in my sports journalism program, and we met Vic Router. Fellas, and I'll I, I, yeah, and I'll never forget the story he told about a curling event he did very early on in his career, where. Um, And I forget exactly where. I think it was an event somewhere out west. This is, you know, we're talking going back into, like, you know, the late 80s kind of thing. And he said they, you know, it was on, um, you know, it was in an area where, you know, there was a big native population. You know, not unlike the Sioux where, you know, you've got, you know, native reserves around. And um, they did, you know, what was a blessing of the ice. So, you know, he had a little bit of information, but he didn't realize that, you know, this blessing of the ice was going to go up and down every sheet mm-hmm. on the rink. So he's only prepared, and he says, they get done the first sheet. He says, I think they're done, but they're not, <laughs> and I've got nothing. So it's like, you know, I'm trying to fill time, but it's like a lot of dead air. And he says, his producer came up to him after that, and he says, you know, producer basically said, what happened? He says, I wasn't ready. And the producer's like, that's never going to happen again, is it? And he says, you know what, it never did. And this, that's what Jack Miller is with, you know, with stories like this is, you know, he has enough stories. And I mean, you know, for him, it, it helps that he, you know, he knows that Belleville team. But, you know, to have stories like that is, is extremely important. And, and, you know, and especially in this kind of game. Mm-hmm. So we get to the first period. We learn early on that Andrew McKim wanted to be a Belleville Bull in the summer. Ah, the olden days. When kids <laughs> said they wanted to go play in all whatever CHL league they did. For instance. Yeah. Article I found recently. Rob Brown, after 1986 season, said he wanted to go play with Bill LaForge in Hamilton. Well, Caleb was getting ready for Dakota Memorial Cup. Ends up staying in the dub that year and puts together one of the greatest seasons of all time. But that's another story. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's so interesting to hear those kinds of stories and to have that kind of stuff. And that's, you know what, that's what makes junior hockey a lot of fun. Bring it back, damn it. Uh, <laughs> opening shift of the game uh, A couple notes I have for the first little bit John Slaney absolutely dominating out there Almost puts in the light goes on but there's no goal Brad May is killing people Steven Rice almost ends a man's life Which I think is a suspension now And also the board ads I got a huge kick out of The Beckers ad <laughs> yeah. And the old school Harvey's and Doritos logos yeah, I mean, let's, let's face it, going way back in the day, and you know what, it's funny, you mentioned the boards, and there was that one pane of glass that popped out. We'll like get to that. Times, <laughs> you know, during the game, and, you know, Jack criticized, and the funny thing is, it's almost like the one pane of glass at the, at the rink here that 
broke like the same pane of glass three times in the same year. And I'm pretty sure Scott Walker's Guelph Storm team was part of two of them. So <laughs> I've always blamed him for that. But uh, I hold no grudge over he is today. Uh, Jack later <laughs> says, Grow Lou, the way Scouts are talking about him, he's like the Quebec version of Valindros. Mm hmm. <laughs> Jack, I love you, but mm hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. We get a few chances here after that. Nolan almost converts a feed from Ricci that goes wide. Also makes a nice pass to LeBeau who gets by York. But Fife with the save there. Uh, Bonderchuk fa is falling. Somehow gets the puck to Pierce. Fise saves the shot uh, in a long 5.58 gone in the period. No time or scoreboard in this at all. So thank you Jack Miller for providing us updates. <laughs> Along with Freddie yeah. as well. But Yeah, I mean that goes back to the old school graphics, right? They made sure they kept the... They made sure they kept the network logo on the TV, on the screen, but nothing else. <laughs> Granted, the one logo I think was added in the YouTube broadcast, but still. Yeah. Um, we get just past the eight-minute mark of the period. Um, Puck goes to Pierce and saw just about slams, and this is where the plaintiff glass gets damaged. I'm not sure how. It's basically yeah. a Keystone Cops routine trying to fix it. Jack then says, what radio guys love is sudden unexpected breaks. We have enough time to go out for dinner and have your shoes shined. <laughs> Jack Miller, one of the most creative junior hockey guys out there, and we all love him for it. I mean, and you know what? He's not wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've had those situations here. Um, you know, like I said, that one, there's one pane of glass in the north end of the, you know, what's now the GFL Memorial Gardens. They broke, I think, three times in the same year. One of them was during the, uh, one of them was during a Canada Russia Super Series game. Um, and actually, it was during a morning skate of that game. Um, Scott Walker was on the coaching staff of that team. <laughs> then later in the year, Guelph Stormer in during a warm-up session. I hear a pane of glass shatter. I didn't even have to look. I'm like, that's got to be the one behind the net. I look over, sure enough, same pane of glass. So I said to Scott after the game, I said, you know your bad luck for that pane of glass, right? And I'm pretty sure it did break one other time that year, although I won't blame Scott Walker for that because he wasn't in town at that time. Oh, man. Uh, well, along those lines, there was, I haven't been to a rink I've been to where there's been the glass situation, but there's one time where there's a big chunk of ice was messed up at the rink in North Battleford. It's during like, the 2017 playoffs. So they brought in a, yeah. it was delayed for like a half hour. So they brought in a fire extinguisher. <laughs> oh, that's always good. Uh, it was an outstanding evening of hockey, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you, old rinks. Um, during, I think it's during round of stoppage and that kind of thing. We find out the Q teams already played a game against undrafted hopefuls, which was very interesting. Uh, yeah, and they okay. mentioned Jeff Tui is being groomed to take over eventually yeah. for the beats. I'm like, hmm. And and you know what? It was funny because that was probably that was like. He couldn't have been more accurate with that because it was literally the same process that Dick Todd went through. Yeah. Where it was like he was a trainer, he was an equipment guy, he was this, he was that. And then all of a sudden he moved up. And I mean, look at Jeff Tui now. Like he's, you know, he's a pro scout and, um, you know, he's been around, he's been around the game for, you know, for a lot of years. He's, he's come a long way from, uh, from being a, you know, being a, a trainer slash eye in the sky for the, uh, for the Peterborough Peets. Uh, next sequence of plays here after we get back going. Deep Pietro swipes the puck away from Chartres on a half break. He stopped by Fisse. Slaney with an answer at the rush of a one-handed back end pass. It floats over to Cerrone. His shot goes off in the corner off of the flexion. Then we have this play. Snell stick handling across the line. He's knocked down by Boivin. 
And Quebec will try to come out again. The right side for Dore. He's got Willett breaking. There's the feed. Willett in a lone shot and he hit the goal post. Willett jumps on the puck and boards. Tried to feed it around. No penalty coming up on that. Dory with a nice seat that goes through Latho's legs. Will with a shot that beats Fife but goes off the post. There's a little bit of a hook from Snell on the play, but still the first real good scoring chance. Yeah, and I wonder, like, I wonder for Willett, I wonder if, you know, watching that, because he had been on the ice for a little bit of a stretch before that, I wonder if part of the issue was maybe that he had, after he took the bath, you know, he, I wonder if he kind of had, you know, was running on fumes a little bit at that point mm-hmm. in terms of trying to break away from, from the OHL defender because it looked like he kind of, you know, he didn't, he wasn't able to break away from, from that defender like, you know, like you would almost expect at that point. And, you know, maybe that's why he didn't get, you know, necessarily the chance that he wanted to there. Although it's still, I mean, hey, he hit the post, so it still turns into, a, you know, still turns into a real good scoring chance. Uh, right after that, Berg completely fans in the pass in front. The other way, nice pass by the cute boy Van is stopped by Fife. 703 left in the first. Jack informs us that scoring highlights are ahead along with smart hockey with Mike Bossy. There's quotes around the term smart hockey, so I don't know what's going on with that segment. Um, <laughs> Holmberg is a shot. It's a glove save by Fife. Lindros said absolutely trucks Patrice Brisebois. Uh, the penalty is then called for Dory for slashing at 15:25. He's hit by Lindros, and then there's a chintzy two-hander, which is, would have caused a damn riot if there was called now. I have to say. Yeah, I mean it's. Um, <laughs> yeah, the game was very interesting back then. Um, you know, in terms of what was called, what wasn't called. I mean, basically, what wasn't called. Um, you know, like you said, I mean, we're in a position now where you watch games like that and some of the stuff that doesn't get called at that point would be a five game suspension in the OHL now. Five junior hockey. Twenty. And that's just there, right? It's just it's so interesting to see how it's completely changed in, you know, thirty years. More on that as this game goes on. Anyway, we now go to the power play. Let's see what the OHL is able to do here. That's his nickname, one-timer, Yoni Lato. As players often have catchy little nicknames on their underwear, and it's one-timer on Yanni's. You, you looked? I saw the press boxes right, or the press rooms right by the Ottawa dressing room. You know that. There's a one-timer, Bodnarchuk scores! Mike Bodnarchuk on the left face-off circle, and he just one-times one. Pass to Fan for a power play goal. Ontario opens the scoring. Well, the Kingston right winger will take the pass cleanly, and getting the shot away was the key, and he kept it low into the corner. Here's the pass from the point. Bonnerchuk open, and bang, right into the corner of the net. Bonnerchuk converts a feed from Stone. He beats Fissett. Uh, his goal, Snell and later with the assist at 15-59. Before that, we'll get to the play in a minute, Brad. Before that, one of the most bizarre sequences in broadcasting history. Fred mentions that Leto's nickname is one-timer. The players have catchy little nicknames on their underwear. Jack goes, you looked? And Fred's just rambling about it as the goal happens. It is one of the strangest things I've ever heard in a broadcast. It would go viral if it happened now. Yeah, and I mean, it's... Um, I rewound it three times, but I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, and it was one of those things where I heard it, and I let it go for a minute, and then I was like, it was the wait what moment? <laughs> and I went back and I'm like, okay, I did hear that right. And I'm like, there's good research for it, but that's just different. 
you know. And I mean, it was like you said, it was like he said, it was interesting that it was like, hey, it's near the press room. I saw it. What of it? <laughs> All right. <laughs> what were your thoughts on the goal? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, one timer from the slot. Um, you know, uh, it's different because we've talked about this in old games before. Um, you know, and I, you know, we talked about this the last time I was on how. You know, you see stuff where I, I, you know, I feel like a play like that today, you know, it was, yes, it was a one-timer, but like, you know, guys get them off differently now, but goaltenders are also so different now that, you know, even Stefan Fizet, who, you know, had a pro career, you know, I think it's different now where a goaltender maybe makes that save. Mm-hmm. Like even the, even the post, the earlier post. Um, you know, that gets by Jeff Fife. Like, you know, that situation, I don't know if that play happens these days. Like, yeah. you know, uh, the, 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 the forward maybe gets that shot off, but, you know, goaltenders are very different in the style now where I don't think that goal happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of plays for the end of the period. Dory off a face-off, a tight back end, the stop by Fife. Alston and LeBeau then have a give-and-go play. LeBeau can't get a shot if he's pressured by Lindros. That wraps up the first period. One nothing for the OHL. Shots 18-12 to 12 for the Ontario Hockey League. Yeah, and I mean, you know what? It was it was a period that I don't think I was surprised in, in the in the sense that, you know, it was, it was what I expected in the sense that, you know, two high-end teams with a ton of good players at both ends of the ice, and... You know, I think we expected, like, there were chances. It was physical. It was, you know, it was so much. It was what you would expect out of, you know, out of a, an all-star game from that time period. Mm-hmm. And it's different from, I would say it's similar in pay. I mean, I have, last CHL top prospects game I went to was eight years, uh, seven years ago now in Calgary. And I don't remember much from it, but it seemed like the pace was decent there. And, like, the Canada-Russia yeah. game, this felt like I had more of a pace than the Canada-Russia games I saw back in 2019. Remember the Canada-Russia series, kids? Remember junior yeah. hockey, kids? Um, <laughs> God certainly <laughs> doesn't. Remember OHL um, games? I don't know what those are like because I haven't seen one in, like, 400 and some odd days. It's been 87 years. But the pace <laughs> it felt like was a little bit, like, kind of half three-quarters pace for the Canada-Russia games in Sassoon and PA, as opposed to this where it feels like, okay, it's the 90s, so it's hard to say, but... It yeah. feels like it's a fairly good pace. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think with this type of setup where, you know, you don't do the typical all-star game of, hey, let's pick one guy from every team. It's like, no, the OHL went in and said, no, we're taking the 20 best players. You know, these are the 20 guys we want to go with. And when you do that, it, it, it adds something to those games and it adds a little bit of an intensity. And I think that's, you know, for the time period, I think this was like, you know, a good, you know, a good high end game. Like this was, you know, this was like a, a late regular season game for a team that's, you know, battling for playoff positioning or, you know, battling for, you know, battling for first place. It, you know, it, it had that intensity, which, is what you want in a game like this. I mean, you don't want players just going through the motions. It's like, yeah, the NHL All-Star game is great, but, you know, I, I don't need to watch a game. If I want to watch a game with no hitting, I'll go to the outdoor rinks, you know? And also, too, I think, again, we're talking about All-Star game. We're getting totally off topic. Welcome to me and Brad doing a podcast. Um, I feel like the All-Star games also, to an extent, are kind of a dated thing as well because it's back in the time period where you couldn't see all the guys. Now, yeah. it's a little bit different to CHL. But for the majority of them, like, you couldn't, like, in the 80s and 90s, how often were you going to see some guys from the NHL, right? 
Yeah, and I think that's where I think that's where you know as much as we see junior hockey on TV now, I think that's where something like this would almost you know work a little better, and you know maybe you put something on the line with it. Um, you know, I mean, I really loser has a team contracted from the league. Well, I mean, that's that's just it, right? Like, you know, it, it's the idea of maybe if you put something on it, if you put something on the line, maybe. You know, I mean, maybe you can get that intensity where, you know, I mean, you know, as much as baseball's all-star game, it's like, hey, let's get 16 pitchers into the game. It's like, you know, at least there's something on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that I almost wonder if you could do that, you'd get some of that intensity back. I don't know. I mean, I, I just, you know, to me, all-star games generally are something of, you know, I'm not a huge fan of them, but... You know, on the other hand, if there's something on the line, if it's intense like this was, 100% I'll watch it. Basically what we're saying is bring back the 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, second period, like bad news, Brad. If you're hoping to see smart hockey, smart hockey with Mike Bossy, yeah. it's not in his YouTube clip. Boo! Yeah, I, was just, I was very disappointed, although I was excited to see that the following year's Chrysler Cup game oh. is also on YouTube, by the way. The 1991 game, I believe it was at the forum, and I just noticed it, I think it was yesterday I saw it. It's a two-part clip, and it is available on YouTube at this point. And, and, it is a TSN feed, boys and girls. That means it we're is. getting Romanuk and Bobby Mack. Yeah. Will we stop this podcast and start watching that game doing a live report during the middle of it? Who's to say? Keep listening and find yeah. out. <laughs> anyway, second period. Back to McKim. Jack goes, the best thing that could happen to him is Thiarin Thillery. I'm like, Jack, I don't think it's how you say his first name, but anyway. <laughs> like, Jack, no! <laughs> Maybe that wouldn't be a problem if WHL teams came over and played the OHL All-Stars, though, huh? Huh? <laughs> anyway. I mean, typical Jack Miller being Jack Miller. I mean, that's what makes the guy... <laughs> As good as he is at his job. Uh, anyway, uh, back as the period goes along here. A uh, few things of note early on. Boy Van hooks York and just flings him into the corner boards. Play on. Five game suspension today. Lebova lawn feed off the board. So will side one time with nice save by five. Better than Rex Santamoral on the far boards. The two on one where McKim tries to fade the 78. It looks like five bats it away, but it actually had gone off of Snell's stick. Uh, during a stoppage in play, Jack remembers the Water Street Arena as we get a penalty at 6.07 where Bennett is called for hooking. Uh, yeah, during, sorry, mean, Brad, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it, you know what? It was it was an interesting start to the period. And, you know, it was it was an interesting game overall. But to, like, just to see, like you said, you know, some of the stuff that doesn't get called at that point that would get called now is just, it's mind-boggling. It really is. I mean, you know, the little stuff gets called now where, you know, stuff that happened, you know, like in this game would be, you know, suspendable in some cases, uh, you know, today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the power play itself doesn't really last that long. As it's going on, Hohenberger holds up Ricci up against the boards. Fans want to call there. Behind the play, LaRouche is called for holding. Four on four for 25 seconds. Uh, 135 power play in for the OHL. May and Dykehouse are battling behind the net. May slips, falls. It kind of goes head first. Jack goes, he may, be, may seems to be hurt. May is getting up. No, he's playing possum. Then May is just loses all sense of time and space, and he heads back to the bench. He keeps going, but that would be definitely a visit to the quiet room today. Yeah, 100% it would be. 100% it would be. If this, if the Ryan O'Rourke hit, or Ryan O'Rourke hit, um, if the Connor Timmons hit, it happened in the 2018 final, happened in 1990, 
Would Ryan or Connor Timmons have stayed in the game? I keep thinking it's Ryan O'Rourke's getting hit. Maybe I'm telling the future. I don't know. What, Connor Timmons would have been forced to stay out there for 30 more minutes. Well, I mean, that's the funny thing, right? Is, you know, like we said, how different it is. And the weird thing about Connor Timmons was the fact that he didn't even have concussion symptoms until they went to Hamilton. Mm-hmm. It was on the trip to Hamilton that it hit him. No pun intended. Um, you know, it wasn't until then that all the side, like all the all the symptoms, it hit them. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, back then it was, yeah, okay, great, you gotta run over, get back out there, kid. <laughs> Is your leg broken? Too bad. Yeah. Uh, OHL power play um, goes on here. Deep yet, Paul DiPietro a really good shift. He has a great pass to Pierce yep. and close stop by Fissette and rise and he's behind the net to Pierce. Gets just basically door slammed by Fissette. DiPietro really impressing me here. Uh, second intermission, we're going to have a World Junior tribute and chats with David Branch. Boo. And Larry Boo. Carrier, Sabre Scout at that point. Uh, penalty at 12.27. Cerrone is called for slashing, apparently. Sure. <laughs> That's killed off, but right as that happens, we have this play. Penalty to Cerrone is over. Ontario back at full strength. Jason York feeds it on the right side. Jumps over Nolan's stick. He goes after it. Trying to feed for Mike Ricci. Ricci with Cerrone. Across for Cerrone. Great stop by what a stop. Excellent save by Stefan Poussette. Anticipating all the way that the pass would come out in front. And when you put guys like Nolan and Ricci around the net, uh, you, you've got to expect something spectacular. And that's exactly what they had. Watch the play. Ricci off the boards. Nolan make that Cerrone going right to the net and just deflects it. Doesn't stop the puck. Doesn't try and shoot it on the go. Just tries to deflect it. Making sure it's accurate and a great stop by Stefan Fissette. Ricci's coming up the ice with Nolan and Cerrone. Cerrone takes a shot. It's stopped by Fissette. Um, first really good chance and a really good save that we got some audio from here, Brad, just because you can kind of hear how that play developed, especially in the replay. Yeah, At least I think I, there's a replay as I'm recording this. There might not be. We'll find out when you listen to this. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Ricci because that was a really nice pass on that play by him, um, you know, to set the play up. And, I, I, you know, at that point, we're seeing why he was, you know, I, we're seeing why he was so highly touted as an NHL prospect with, with you know, with him making a play like that. Um, right off the faceoff, Ricci again. He kicks it to Olin Nolan and fires a shot, but a stop by Fissette. Ricci then brings down McKim. It's a slashing, apparently. Um, <laughs> on the timesheet, it says it's from 13-17 to 15-17, the, pa- uh, the penalty, which makes absolutely no sense. Because the last penalty was at 12-27 on the timesheet that I have that was given to us by the OHL office. Yeah. <laughs> you know, interesting. Um, yeah, interesting for that time period. The record keeping and, like, everything about it is just so different than what we're used to today. Um <laughs> Yeah, more on that at the end of this game with the final goal. <laughs> yeah. As, okay, so that penalty there for um, <clears throat> excuse me, that penalty for Ricci is killed off and off another face off. May wheels around towards the slot. He stopped up and of a high shot. Uh, Larose sends Primo hard into boards. May have another chance that stopped by Fisset. Uh, then we have this sequence. Larue in collision with May in the corner. Brad May trying to kick it free. McKim. 
has him tied up. LaRue escapes with the puck. Down the left side as Rice took a run at Brisbois. Here's Patrick LeBeau and across the Ontario blue line. Walking right into Olsen. Swings right. Great stop by Fife. What a save by Jeff Fife to keep Ontario ahead. Well, Alston was so frustrated he bent his stick in half. Boy, what a save by Jeff Fife. If we could see it again, you're going to see some concentration on the part of a goaltender. This is the key to success. Now it takes a bad bounce right in to Alston, right there. Watch this. Fife knew where he was going. He just followed him and the puck and just went down and stopped it, made sure there was no rebound. And that has been the story of the game at both ends of the rink so far. LeBeau's coming down on the near wing. He stops and finds Alston. Primo's trying to get to his feet. So Alston comes in. Fife waits and dives over to stop Alston on the go attempt. On the replay, though, we find out that Alston gave the old set pick to Primo, which set up the opportunity. Yeah, he pretty much set himself up about as perfectly as he could there. But then the other issue for him was, or the issue for him was when he got in close, I don't think he realized how much room he actually yeah. had when he was at the net because, you know, he could have taken probably two more strides and would have had an open net. But, I mean, you know, let's face it, watching it, you know, watching it on YouTube 20-odd years after the fact or just watching a replay, yeah, we're going to see it. I mean, you know, reporters are the best athletes when they can <laughs> see a play 10 times. Look at my bill. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I mean, he, you know, he had a ton more room than he actually realized at that point. And, you know, I mean, it, you know, for him, that's obviously, that's a big point in that hockey game because, you know, obviously he, he, you know, he scores there as a tie hockey game. And, you know, we're looking at a completely different, uh, completely different goal you know, in terms of uh, the rest of that one. Mm -hmm. Shortly after that, um, Chartier receives a pass in front, but he can't control it. Nolan with a massive whack. <laughs> he gets yeah. out for slashing at 243. Uh, the puck later goes out of play. It is won by a kid in a Holland Peak jersey. Let's remember some teams. Um, yeah. Holden and slams Grolo into the boards, and right, the official's in between them, and off goes Grolo's helmet. Which is yeah. pretty interesting there. Uh, the puck then goes outside the blue line and is whistled for offside, which is a good thing, too, because Paul DiPietro was about to go off to the races on a breakaway. Yeah, he was... Paul DiPietro was really good in that game. I mean, you could see why he was picked to play with that team. I mean, he was... You know, he had some chances, and he was just... He was... You know, he was high-end in that game, and, you know, certainly showed that he earned a spot to play with that team. Mm -hmm. uh, we get to the end of the period here. We mentioned DiPietro play... Shortly afterwards, this is still a penalty kill, by the way, for the OHL. We get this. Patrick LeBeau, a nice drop feed for McKim. As Quebec works the periphery right now. Dykos trying to hold it at the point. Snell jumps on it. And Ontario might have a break here. Merlin drops down the right side. Trying to lean in there. Great move back. Cameron, equally splendid stop by Kazet. A penalty coming up for Quebec. By the big kids from Toronto, Eric Lindros. It defies logic. It defies physics as to how Lindros can make that kind of a move when you're six feet five inches tall. But watch this. He is going to play the puck around the defenseman, Brisebois, and still get in to get a shot away. And all of that pushing Quebec into uh, into a penalty is going off. Is going to be Carl Dykos. 18.34 will be the time of the penalty. Cross-checking. 
Well, for those of you watching and saying and wondering, is Eric Lindros that good? I think he gave you an answer right there. Keep in mind, this young man is going to get better and better, probably bigger and bigger. He's only 16 years old, not even eligible for the NHL draft till 1991. Mark this down your calendars, boys and girls. I'm about to praise something Eric Lindros did. So All Snow right, passes the puck. So it's 9.06 p.m. in Ontario. <laughs> 7.06 here in Prince Albert. It is 10.36 in Newfoundland. Um, Snow passes it up to Lindros going down to near wing. He dips, he doodles around Breezeball. I'm trying, how do you describe it? It's similar to, I think Kessel did that move once in a World Junior kind of deal. Um, yeah. He has a back hair, a stop by Fiset. Dykehouse comes and gets called for cross-checking as Lindros tries for a rebound, 18.34. We're going to get some four-on-four than four OHL power play. But now, I'm. you may know, if you're familiar with my background, I'm not a big Eric Lindros guy. No idea why. No. But you can see here, especially for those that maybe not as familiar when Lindros was coming through, why he was such a big deal in the early 90s coming up. Yeah. Guys his size shouldn't do that. Well, and that's just what I was going to say is that's – that was that play was typical Eric Lindros for that time period. I mean, he was just that skilled. Um, you know, it was it was unreal. And the thing was at that time is you would never expect the big guys were supposed to be the goons. Mm-hmm. You know, they they weren't supposed to be like Eric Lindros and you know Keith Primo to a lesser extent. They you know guys weren't supposed to be six foot four, two hundred pounds. And as skilled as a guy that was five inches shorter than he was, mm-hmm. you know that's that was that one play was Eric Lindros in junior hockey in a nutshell. He was just that much better than everyone else. More when we do the 1990 Memorial Cup final. Yeah. Victory has like I stop now. I don't give that away. That's the baseline of the whole game. <laughs> uh, later was a point shot that stopped. Deep Branch was there. Decided that it stopped by Fisay's OHL power play gets going. McKim then tries to take on five OHL players. Well, it does kill time, I guess. But that ends the period. one nothing silver to OHL. Shots are now 30-23 for the O. 12-11 in the second period. Yeah, and I mean, again, you know, for the OHL, had, uh, you know, had a couple of chances. Um, you know, you had the Lindros chance. You had the Steroni chance that we, you know, that we heard from earlier. Um, you know, they, they limited, you know, the Quebec team had a couple of chances, but they, you know, they did a better job in terms of limiting it, um, you know, in period two. And, I mean, again, another, you know, another good intense period of hockey for, uh, you know, for an all-star game. Uh, third period of play, Jack and Fred have basically already got their player of the games figured out. It's Fissette and Fife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which, funny enough, hey, that's what had happened. 34-second uh, power play still for the OHL. With three seconds left in the Dykehouse, Meyer LaRoe is called for holding. Uh, McKim is coming down the far wing as a shorthanded chance. And the game the last second, really good poke check by John Slane, who's another guy that had a really good game. Yeah, I mean, another another high-end guy at that level, right? I mean, you know, and I mean, we're going to, you know, we're able to say this about pretty much every guy in this game, but, you know, he was a guy that, uh, you know, he was a guy that was real good. Like, you know, in a game like that, it's, sometimes it can be hard to stand out because there's so many high-end guys, but, you know, he was a guy that, you know, kind of took his game a little bit higher than, uh, than the rest of the group. Um, I just realized at that point while watching the broadcast how high the scoreboard is at the Cornwall Civic Center. Yeah, I mean, probably, you know, and I mean, I can't say that I've, you know, been to every rink in the league at that point, but, um, you know, I, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a little higher than most. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ah, the old school rink, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah. Right after that, Jack Miller tells us that Rob Pearson had bought a ticket for this game, but ended up replacing Mike Craig, which leads to our discussion from earlier, Brad, about him and his uniform situation. Yeah, I mean, you know, how interesting that was, right? And, you know, again, that comes down to the research of, uh, you know, of good broadcast broadcasters and, the, you know, these guys, you know, I mean, what are the odds, right? Like, you know, he's Rob Pearson's just like, I want to go to the game regardless. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, well, congratulations, Rob. You're going to get to go. You can play now. Uh, right after that, Nolan and Rue both whacking each other in front of the net. Behind the play, though, LaPointe has thrown your call for offsetting slashing penalties at 426. Jack notes, which is interesting, it's not like the OHL where it's 4-on-4. Four four. It's like the Q, which is 5-on-5. Five five. What's the Q doing? Don't you want more scoring opportunities in your 3,000 goals a night league? Yeah. Yeah, and especially at that time, right? Like, that's, you know, that, that league's always been high scoring, but, like, yeah, it's like, hey, let's just increase the scoring even more. Like, that's what people want. People don't want to watch, unless it's the high-end teams, people don't want to watch one nothing games. <laughs> this is why Koch I will never be doing the 95 Stanley Cup Final. Beyond other reasons. Yeah. yeah, well, that and, you know, the lesser team won, so... Please, the top best team that year was to keep back in Ordeaks, and you know it. Well, <laughs> somebody, I can't argue that. Somebody had to lose the first round. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, to the sequence here. Shortly after Leto flings a hip at center ice on Boyan, where there's no call, we get this play. Steven LaRouche, 46 goals in the Quebec League. He comes back, there's a shot just wide by LaRouche. As he came back, he just kind of trailed in there lazily in behind the flow. Nobody picked up the puck. They were all tied one another up. Pearson's got a lane to the goal. Back for Ricci's shot. Oh, Larson, he finds What a nice play, and there were all kinds of options for Rob Pearson. And there is a penalty coming up for slashing, and it's going to be against, I thought it was Martin Santamore, but apparently not. We'll have another look at it. Maybe watch this play. Rob Pearson to Mike Ricci in front. Perfect pass, bang, and Fassett is down and has it. What a great play by Stefan Fassett. Well, the uh, Quebec All-Stars being penalized, but nobody It could be uh, the penalty to Fassett, it's hard to say. Three on run rush ensues. Pearson weighs and finds Ricci, but a big glove save by Fassett as he's almost a screener by York uh, in front. Now, the penalty stuff, you hear the announcers are a little bit confused about what's going on. Turns out Honenberger is called for slashing at 538. So the OHL gets a power play out of this with Cerrone and LaPointe still in the penalty box as well. But, again, we talked about chances here. If you say, if you say a really good save once again. Yeah, and a nice, nice pass by Rob Pearson. He was kind of, you know, kind of running out of room a little bit on the, in, in that circle where he had the defender down on the ice and, um, you know, kind of had very limited room. It was just a nice, simple, simple little pass. I mean, to use a current phrase, it was he put the puck into open space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I mean, that's, you know, let's face it. I mean, you know, another high-end guy in the, in the league at that time. And, you know, he those guys make those kind of plays and see those kind of plays and you know it was a nice little pass to get to get to Ricci and I mean you know in, in probably in a regular season OHL game Ricci probably scores there but I mean Stefan Fisse was among the best goaltenders in the country at that time so you know he's a guy that's you know that's gonna have a, a you know a higher end ability to make that save Freddie Braffick would have stopped it <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Stay tuned when Brad and I look at 1989 90 OHLers and debate which goalies would have made that save. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Mike Torquia. <laughs> yep. Anyway. He's also on OHL stories. One of the best storytelling players I've heard in a while, that's for sure. Torquia? No. <laughs> <laughs> we also get an ad. For, uh, now, not much happens on the power play, and LaPointe and Cerrone come back out with 12 13 left. We also get an ad for Big Ben Ski Hill, which is sadly not named after the horse. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Hohenberger with a hand pass just to get the puck away from May, who would have had a chance of getting tangled up with Primo, which is an interesting play there, which, I don't know, that might be a penalty nowadays. Yeah, no kidding. It's, um, yeah, the game has certainly changed. <laughs> will it be on to boy Van? He stopped by five. Uh, Ricci then gets called for cross-checking at 9.07 as he slams LeBeau from behind into the boards. Then Fixette decides to play the puck right to Randy Pierce, but thankfully for his sake, it goes wide. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there aren't any good guys in the game in this game to turn a puck over to. I mean, that's, you know, you don't want to turn a puck over in the best of times, and this is by far not one of those best of times to turn a puck over. And I think they mentioned this. He had four or five shorthanded goals already this year, so that's definitely not the guy you want to turn it over to. There's no one really yeah. you don't want to turn it over to in this game. It's like there's, a, there's like a four-flying <laughs> goon on the OHL roster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Shortly after, McKim with a blast from the point, and he scores. Oh, wait, the whistle had gone. It is offside by St. Amour. My next note here was just pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, Mr. T's getting a lot of love in this, uh, in this, <laughs> in this episode, too, right? Uh, the play, though, it's funny because it's a nice shot by McKim, but I kind of wonder, I think Jack mentioned it or Fred did, that because the whistle had gone, Fife may have let up a little bit. Or let, yeah. let up a little bit, but may have been just kind of like, oh, okay, I can relax a little bit as the puck's coming. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's that's the interesting thing, right? Is you know, in that type of situation, that's probably I wouldn't be surprised that you know if that's probably exactly what the what the situation was at that point, right? Uh, back to the game. Uh, at this point, shortly after that, Jack and Fred start talking about the OHL guys who aren't there that had really good years. Uh, Darcy Cahill, whose career is a magical journey, needs to look up on lead prospects. A 12th round yeah. pick by Vancouver, nineteen eighty nine. Brett Sagan, who's just starting a three year run of 100 point seasons of Ottawa six round pick by LA in 1991 Chris Taylor Devils assistant now second round pick by Detroit, or the Islanders in 1990 starting th- in three straight 100 point seasons with the London Knights Joey St. Oban who had 200 point years with the Kitchen Rangers and then Jack says Gilbert DeLorme um Jack I think you mean Gilbert Dion <laughs> yeah. DeLorme at this point is out with the Penguins <laughs> I played with Shakur to me 10 years ago Gilbert Dion is Marcel's brother who had a huge breakout year of Kitchener. It was a fourth-round pick by Montreal and played a key role in their 93 Cup run. Yeah, was that the uh, was that the year he had like 48 goals or something, I think, in, in the O? Uh, I can look it up quick, but I'm pretty sure because it was like a ridiculous season. Yeah, because I remember I like I remember hearing his story about it. He was on a podcast one time and he was talking about that year and Speaking of Mike Torque, yeah, he was a teammate. Uh, I believe they were teammates that year. So. Yeah, because he played in the GHL of Niagara, which I'm not sure. Niagara Falls, so I'm not sure what level the GHL is. I'm not sure if that's Junior A or Jungle B at that point. Anyway, yeah. he had 84 points in 36 games in 87, 88. That seems good. Then he had 44 points with Kitchener in 88, 89. Then 48 goals, 105 points in 64 games. 23 points in the playoffs in 1990, and then 10 points in five games at that year's Mem Cup. Yeah, some would say that's uh, some would say that's a decent stretch of hockey. Mm-hmm. Then in 92-93, 48 points for the Habs, 12 points in the playoffs, and they were under the Stanley Cup final and the championship. Yeah. Then played in the speaking IHL of, like a true man of, of culture. The, the 93. Speaking of sorry, like, speaking of the 93 Canadians, Paul Di Pietro as well uh, <laughs> was an important part of that. Uh, 
important part of that team as well. More on him later. Uh, we get back to full strength. The O has a ton of pressure, but never really awe-inspiring. Then John Slaney goes off. Slaney comes in with a point shot, just goes wide. Then he hits the crossbar of a fever in Di Pietro. Pearson have a great rush, but he loses the puck in the end to Fanfise. Moments later, offsetting penalties at 14.58. Pearson for roughing and Honenberger for holding. But the O is just coming in waves all of a sudden. Yeah, and I mean, I, I you know, I think at that point, you know, this is kind of the point where we see them kind of take their game up a notch. Um, you know, and, and again, when you look at that roster and you look how deep they were, I mean... You know, we've already, obviously we've talked about you know having Lindros and you know how good Di Pietro was on that team and Owen Nolan and you know Brad May. Like this was a very deep forward group that you know you couldn't necessarily keep them down for very long. And I think we're seeing at this point where they're starting to maybe take over the game a little bit. Um, the next sequence we're talking about how different of a game is. Get ready, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> Yeah. Sevigny hooks Rice, who loses the stick. Somehow it's not a call as Rice picks it pop out the ice. Then Lindros is trying to go up the ice. He's hooked up the entire way by Savage. You only hear Jack in the background going, wow. Lindros, as he falls, gets it to Berger, takes up the ice for his pass knocked away. The fans are rattled in yeah. Cornwall. Can you imagine how fans today would take to that sequence? It'd be better if there was a chintzy call right after that. Just icing oh, on the cake. Yeah. Chef's kiss. Anyway. Well, I mean, and I mean, let's face it. OHL fans would say it's all David Branch's fault. As I like to say to people when they say NHL refing is bad, like, brothers and sisters, you have not seen OHL refing. Yeah. It is pain personified. I've also <laughs> been to Jungle B games. Where I'm like, if this was the OHL, David Branch would have suspended 12 players in the first five minutes. Yeah, Couch, we need to cover more Jungle B is what I'm getting at. <laughs> Anyway, after all of this, we have this sequence. Nightcaps for LaRue. Lucena Moran trying to feather a little pass for Boivin. Owen Nolan with a big hit on him. Nolan ahead for Ricci. Ricci being hooked from behind. Ricci, LaRue filled up. Ricci goes to the goal and it's a Mike Ricci coming up with the insurance Ontario has so badly wanted but couldn't get. And what a job, what a display coming in off the right wing boards and just muscled his way in front of the net. Poussette gave him a corner. Now watch the play. Owen Nolan has it developed to Ricci. They're still working. Now in this particular shot, LaRue looks like he's got Ricci contained, but then he falls down. There's the wide open corner and there's a player down with Poussette. And Ontario takes a 2-0 lead with 2.41 left in the third period and that will certainly lead to a relaxation of Jeff Fife who has certainly been up to the challenge for back in the third period. Ricci is being hooked from behind by I think LeBeau then all of a sudden he turns on the Jets turns LaRoe inside out he falls down as they're going out the far wing. Ricci then worked his way out in front of Beats he said a great goal Ricci from Nolan and Slaney at 17-19 the OHL takes a 2-0 lead and that also brings Pearson and Honenberger back out on the ice. Yeah, I mean, talk about, you know, talk about a nice play, Owen Nolan, on that one, right? Um, you know, the turnover and then up the ice. And I feel like turnovers were kind of a name of the game in, in this one, especially late um, for the Quebec League. Um, you know, it seemed like they, you know, the last seven or eight minutes of the game when they were trying to push and they were, you know, you could see them trying to. And I think that's where, you know, we talked about the OHL 
starting to take over. I think that's why they started taking over was the fact that all of a sudden the OHL was pushing and forcing them to turn the puck over, and then it was chances the other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly after that, um, after all that happens, Breezebois basically violates Rob Pearson along the boards. Yeah. Off camera, Lindros has apparently murdered Leroux. I didn't want to see that. Uh, Fisset leaves the net with about 90 seconds left, which leads to this. Less than 90 seconds to go now. As Chatron brings it in. Paul Holden trying to cover him behind the net for Savage. Savage with Holden. Trying to contain two Quebec skaters in behind the net. Savage tried to wrap it out in front. It goes, empty net, slap shot, that's it! Paul Holden with the empty netter. 160 foot shot down into the empty net. He put something on it to make it a three to nothing Ontario advantage. After Fousset had been pulled in favor of the extra attacker. And at 18.52, Ontario can close the cover on this one except for one thing. And I'm sure that's riding on Jeff Fife's mind. You're not right going now. to mention it? Nope. A little superstitious, are you, Jeff? A whole bunch. Savage tries to make a pass to the side that goes right to Pierce's stick, who fires it into the net. Pierce gets the goal from Holden. How? At 18.52, OHL leads 3 0. Yeah, and I mean, you know what? It's funny. One of the notes I had for this one was turnovers by QMJHL. And it was like literally for probably a solid minute before this goal happened, the Quebec League must have turned the puck over at least half a dozen times. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, you know, I get that you're trying to push to, you know, get yourself back into the game late, but. Um, you know, that's kind of where this goal ends up. And, you know, that was part of the part of the second OHL goal as well, where it was, you know, it was a turnover in the offensive zone. And, you know, you give it to a good group like that, they take it the other way and, you know, it's going to burn you. And for, you know, for this one, it's, you know, you turn the puck over half a dozen times in a stretch like that, you're, you know, especially when you're forcing and you're trying to push the play to at least get on the board, you know, it's going to lead to disaster if you keep turning the puck over that much. The OHL gets one more chance before the game ends. May has Hodenberger all over him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Somehow gets the puck to Primo in front. But he's stopped by Stefan Fisay. That's it. Make the final. 3-0 OHL. Final shots 41-31 for the OHL. 11-8 in the third period. Players of the game. Wow, I'm shocked. Stefan Fisay and Jeff Fife. What a what a sequence. Um, besides the goalies, Brad, who else stood out for you in this game? For me, it was Di Pietro. Uh, yeah. Seeing him in, in the flesh. Uh, who else stood out besides? I mean, we probably go through a whole bunch of guys, but Deep Edge would be my main guy for sure. Yeah, I, you know what I mean? For me, I think John Slaney, too, like you mentioned him earlier. Um, you know, I really liked Owen Nolan a lot. He, you know, and I mean, for him, I think the biggest thing was forcing the turnover on the Ricci goal. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the goaltenders, like you said, were, you know, were good. I mean, anyone that can watch a game at any time and see them play like that, it's. You know, it's going to be, you know, they're going to be good. I mean, Daniel Doré was, you know, was was good for the Quebec League. Um, you know, he was a guy that, you know, he had some chances. Um, you know, again, this was, a, this was a game where, I mean, when you put the best of the best out there, um, you know, you're going to you're gonna see stuff like this. And, I mean, you know, you could probably say almost any guy on the OHL team had a, had a real good game. And, you know, there was, like I said, there was a handful of guys on the Quebec team that were real good, too. Best player, Drake Berhowski in a suit. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> Other notes in the post game: the trophy. Wow, some trophy that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looks like no something kidding. like you get for like top four at the Mayor's Cup. Yeah, that's probably what is. Uh, that's probably a pretty accurate statement. Uh, that is a very Sue niche reference, by the way, kids. In case you're wondering. Yeah. Uh, also, Jill Scorto has to wear the OHL uniform uh, as part of losing the game. I write down, bring this back for the Super Series. I want to see Valerie Bragan wearing a CHL uni. Or CHL President Dan McKenzie having to wear a Russian jersey. I, you know what? I would, I would, I can honestly say I would pay to see Valerie Bragan <laughs> wear a CHL, a CHL or an OHL jersey. Like, I'd see him to... I'd, I'd pay to see him wear a, wear a Canadian Hockey League jersey at some point. I would certainly pay, because I can't imagine he'd like that very much. Corto, by the way, is only 32 years old at the time of this game. Branch is 41. His mustache is... <laughs> and Ed Chanel, who's not there, by the way, the WHL president at the point, is 48. Just to give you some background information there. And the outro of this game, and the post game, which I'm going to play as the outro to this whole thing, Jack Miller basically introduces the concept of the CHL Super Series 13 years ahead of schedule. <laughs> Yeah. That was the best part of the game. Yeah, wild thought. And, you know, speaking of... He's breaking kayfabe about a CHL TV deal with TSN. He's then saying they're talking about doing exhibition games with maybe the Soviet national team. Yeah. You know, talk about a guy who was ahead of his time at that point. And, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier during, you know, when we were talking about the intro to the game, about them sitting down, about Jack and Fred sitting down. The one other note that I had on the post game was Jack doing the post game without a suit jacket on. <laughs> Jack's had enough. <laughs> yeah, when would you ever see that now? Right. You know, and I mean, not that like, and, and I'm not, it, it, you know, it's it, for me, it's not a criticism. Like, I, I actually, I, I, I don't actually mind liked, it. <laughs> yeah, I actually liked it because it's different. You know, I mean, who says you need to wear who need who says you need to wear a blazer during a post game like that? Does it matter? No. No. Maybe don't wear your uh, Pat Peak jersey on the air. Uh, you should actually wear your Pat Peak jersey on the air, Brad. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, let's face it. I mean, we have to. Uh, also of note here, uh, before we get to what happened next and some of the stuff, the crowd at this game, I think they mentioned the broadcast was a sellout. 3,991. The only other full house since they had jo- during the regular season, at least, since they joined from the o- joined the 09 years prior, was for Dale Howarchuk's jersey retirement, February 28th, day after my day I was born, 1988. Yeah, I mean, you know, a good junior hockey market at that time, though, I mean, for the big games like that, and, you know, I'm not surprised they supported it. And You know, I, I almost wouldn't mind if there was an opportunity to get a team back in Cornwall and try it again. I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked a little bit about that. I was going to mention that. I guess I'll mention it now. I was going to mention it later on. Uh, this was recently posted about a week ago in my old story series on Twitter uh, about the Royals' future being uncertain in Cornwall from March 92. They would move after that season to Newmarket. They were yeah. one of four franchises that could be moved, the others being the Compuera Ambassadors, the Windsor Spitfires, and the Niagara Falls Thunder. <clears throat> For me, what's telling is the very last line here. OHL Commissioner David Branch, who was negotiating on behalf of the Newmarket group, couldn't be reached for comment Tuesday. Again, if that had come out now, all hell would have broken loose. Yeah, that would be... Yeah, there would be so much more to that story if something like that came out at this point. Like, that's... It's mind-boggling, the stuff that happened then and what it would be looked at now, how it would be looked at now. See, the know? Mike Illich is going to buy the Winter Spitfires in 1983 story I posted the other day. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there were so many different things, and that's and that's the other thing, right? Is you know the rumor mill in the eighties and nineties is wild. Well, that and I mean, they didn't have social media. They didn't have the things we do nowadays. Nowadays, right? Like we weren't. They weren't in a position where that stuff wasn't getting shared all over. It was going in their paper, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was going in the local news, and that's it. Yeah. So when it comes to the what happens to these guys after the game, I'll kind of go through this rapid fire here as best as I can. Uh, Guy Chouinard, uh coached all over the place, really, after this. Charlie Bierre, Sherbrooke, Laval, the Ramparts, and PEI for the next decade or so, next two decades. Yves Landberg yeah. couldn't buy anything on, so I assume he joined the circus. Pierre, <laughs> Pierre Gang only didn't play in this game was dealt at Drummondville for the 91 Memorial Cup. Francois Gorlo uh, was the Q defense of the year in 92, was a second rounder by Calgary in 1991. Um, played a little bit in the NHL, ended up in Europe. His son, Jeremy, Devil's Prospect, uh, played with Shakumi in the last part of this past decade. Claude Barth was a sixth rounder by Detroit. Guess what, Brad? He never played for the Wings. That's a shame. Uh, Martin Sandemore became a WCHL star of San Diego. <laughs> Andrew McKim played a little bit in the NHL, 5.3 games, 1995 Boston, Detroit. Uh, his son, Matt, played at Bonneville the last couple years, just committed to Alaska Fairbanks. And McKim, 13 points in eight games for Canada at the 1995 World Hockey Championships. Oh, wow. Chartrand went straight to England and was basically Wayne Gretzky. He's just some stupid <laughs> numbers. Uh, Dykehouse was the 16th overall pick. Uh, in 1990 with the Chicago Blackhawks, played a bit in the NHL with Philly, Tampa, and the Montreal Canadiens for the next decade. Pierre Sevigny played a little bit in the NHL. His sons both in the queue. Matt Tua, Drummondville, and Victoriaville, and Vincent Curling with the Victoriaville Tigas. Claude Boyban played a little bit in the NHL with the Philadelphia Flyers and Ottawa Senators in the 90s. Francois Leroux, 23 points, 249 games until 1998 with Ottawa, Edmonton, Pittsburgh, and Colorado. Now, kids, let's talk about Martin LaPointe. Yeah. Uh, three straight World Juniors. Uh, was the 10th overall pick in 91 by the Red Wings. Um, in 92, he had a 55 points in 31 games um, in the regular season. He starts the year in 92-93 with Laval. Or with the Wings. Then goes to Laval and has 89 points in 35 games. 30 points in 13 playoff games. 9 points in 5 games in the Memorial Cup. Does not win QMVP or playoff MVP. What are you people doing? <laughs> yeah, scary to think, right? Jocelyn Tebow and Manny Fernandez, by the way, won those awards. But come on! Martin LaPointe! Yeah. Uh, then and plays for Koch's Wings. Especially a group like that. Like, or especially a year like that. He then plays for Koch's Wings. Only has a 30, 381 points in 991 NHL games. Two-time cup champ with the Wings. But LaPointe, again, if you go back to the podcast we did on the Bag Skate Hockey Podcast about forgotten guys, LaPointe is one of those guys, I think if you're from a certain age, like you and I remember him, but... Other guys might not, because, like, that 92-93 season is ridiculous. Right. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it, it was so different at that point, right? Like, you know, I mean, I like, I look back and I remember, you know, I remember Martin LaPointe Jr. and just seeing the things these guys could do. And, you know, I mean, it, it, not to take anything away from it now, but it was just, it was, you know, I keep saying this, it was just so different back then. I mean, the hockey just was... You know, completely different. It was more physical. It was, you know, there was so much to it. Um, you know, that's different than what we would see now. I mean, you know, you don't see that grinded out style near what you would have in, you know, in the late '80s, early '90s, especially in junior hockey. Mm-hmm. Steve Larouche was was me for the '91 Mem Cup run. Had great IHL and age numbers, but didn't really play much in the NHL. 
Uh, Patrick was later shown to assistant from 2012 to 2019. Patrick LeBeau played a little bit in the NHL with a silver medalist with the 92 Olympic team for Canada. His older brother, Stefan, who was a great Q player for winning from 84 to 88, was part of the 1993 Caps Cup run. Patrice Brisebois, another part of the 92-93 Caps Cup run, was on Drummondville's team uh, and was CHL Defense of the Year in 1991. Yen also went straight to Europe, stayed there until 2011, uh, was part of lots of Spangler Cup teams. Stefan Visek yeah. played in the NHL from 2002 with Quebec, Colorado, LA, and Montreal. Honenberger uh, played for Austria at two Olympics, uh, played a little bit in the AHL and the IHL. His brother Martin was the first overall pick in the 93 Bantam draft in the dub. I don't understand how. <laughs> yeah. uh, played in WHL Victoria, Prince George, and Leftbridge, winning a WHL title in 97 with the Hurricanes, the third rounder by the Habs 94. Dore, we mentioned, was a high pick. This is pretty much it for him. Injury troubles, I believe, curtailed his career off the top of my head. And was basically done after 94. Became a scout for the Bruins, 96-97, with the Rangers since 2007. His son, Paul, I'm going to double-check this, I believe played, uh, or at least he was signed to play, I don't know if he did, with Salmon Arm in the BCHL. Oh, okay. Uh, and rounding things out, Paul Willow played in the U.S. Minor Pros. Stints as assistant coach in Bakersfield and was a scout for Moose Jaw. And Reginald Savage played a little bit in the NHL, uh, but a long career in the minors before retiring in 2005. Now to the OHL side of things, Brad. <laughs> this is your wheelhouse. Uh, Dick Todd, which coached Canada's team at the next World Juniors, left the Pete's in 93. Something happened that season. I can't remember what. To join the New York, Rang joined the New York Rangers assistant until 98. Returned to Pete's in 04 to 06, winning the league championship in 2006. Crawford is then hired by the St. John's Leaves on the AHL. And then is a head coach in Quebec, Colorado, Vancouver, L.A., Dallas, Switzerland, Ottawa, and Chicago system for a bit. Adam Bennett was played a living in the NHL of Chicago and Edmonton. Yoni Leto was a 1996-round pick by the Islanders, returned to Europe in 94, retired in 98, and is now the director of European scouting for the Colorado Avalanche. Chris Snell, OHL Defense of the Year, 1991, was a 7-round pick by Buffalo, had a couple really good years in the AHL, was a scout with Winnipeg, now his son Mason, a sophomore at Penn State. Bondarchuk was a fourth round pick by the Devils in 1990. Played in the Myers until 2001. Rob Pearson starts the year in 1991 with Belleville. Nine points, ten games. Then goes to Oshawa to play with Eric Lindros. 109 points in 41 games and 33 points in 16 playoff games. Is that good? Ah, who's to say? <laughs> uh, played 110 points, 269 NHL games. Uh, with the Toronto, Washington, and St. Louis. Uh, son, Luke, is committed to Yale, but now already valued to VCHL. And Rob coached the OJ with Whitby and Pickering. Mike Ricci, you may have heard of. Um, yeah. Fourth overall pick in 1990, 605 points in 1,099 NHL games to 2007. Mayday, mayday, mayday. mayday. <laughs> 14th overall pick by the Sabres in 1990. Uh, 69 points in 34 games with Niagara Falls that following season. Also on Canada's World Junior team. Olin Nolan, first overall pick by Quebec, uh, 885 points in 1,200 NHL games. His son Dylan, by the way, I think might be eligible for the next year's WHL draft, so that's you're going to feel old, ladies and gentlemen. Someone's uh, got to take that kid first overall. Stephen Rice had 60 points in 29 games the following year for Kitchener, was traded to Edmonton in the Mark Messier trade. Uh, also, at Hartford, right. Carolina, 125 points in 329 games. Was Canada's World Junior Captain in 1990-91. Cerrone started the year in Cornwall in 1990-91 with 60 points in 40 games. Then went to Windsor with 50 points in 32 games. Uh, played a bit uh, in the minors in Europe until 2008. 
was on Italy's 2006 Olympic team and is now the head coach for Midland University in the ACHA. He's clearly the biggest hero of that team, then. <laughs> Obviously. Um, <laughs> Mike Craig, who didn't play in this game, had 168 points in 423 NHL games for Minnesota, Dallas, and Toronto. Calgary Flame Scout. Bob Berg, third-round pick by the Kings in 1990. Started year Niagara Falls the next year, 12.12 games in the Sudbury, 27-23. Was in the Meyer story time in 2001. Jason York, a seventh-round pick in 1990 by the Wings, uh, went back to Windsor after a Mem Cup, uh, 93.66 games that year. Uh, up and down with the Wings and cracks the NHL with uh, the Ducks, basically there until 2007. Now owner and head coach of Kempville. Uh, his son Jack played the CHL of Kitchener, Barry, Peterborough, and Shawinigan. Let's remember some OHLers right there. You mentioned Paul DiPietro already. Uh, Fifth-round pick by Marshall in 1990, 13-17 13.17 games for the Habs in 93 Cup run. 80 points in 192 NHL games with Toronto, Montreal, and the Kings 91-97. Then became a hero in Europe and was on the Switzerland's Olympic team in 2006. Yeah. Randy Pierce, fourth round pick by the Capitals in 1990. Played in the minors until 1997. Drake um injury uh, plague seasons for, next, for this season and the next season. Uh, Temporal pick in 90 by the Maple Leafs was fully healthy with North Bay in 92 82.62 games, 31 points, 21 playoff games as Centennials went to the OHL final losing the Greyhounds and was also CHL Defenseman of the Year. Played in the NHL for Toronto, Pittsburgh, Edmonton, Nashville, Vancouver, and Phoenix. Head coach in Leftbridge for a couple years, now GM head coach in Orlando. And his son, Daniel Brad, is a 2022 OHL draft prospect. Sign him up. John Slaney scored a kind of big goal at the World Juniors, I hear, the following year. Yeah, I think it was like, a, it was a round-robin game, like, early in the tournament, I think. I think they were like playing uh, Fiji. Yeah, it was like a shot from, like, the slot where it, like, <laughs> hit six legs and went in. Besides that and minor if, goal. <laughs> and if anyone's taking this conversation seriously, well, you might want to not take it seriously. Why are you still <laughs> listening if that's the case? Yeah. Uh, Slaney was a ninth overall pick by Washington in 1990. Um, retired in 2011. Had 91.268 AHL games, but was a star in the AHL. 519 points in yeah. 631 AHL games later on assistant in Tucson. Paul Holden, this is basically it for him, uh, was in the minors in 1999. Uh, Todd Boson, fifth rounder by Buffalo in 1990. Uh, one more year of Peter Brothers in the minors. Jeff Fife, now, his career is interesting. He plays one NHL game of Halifax, then plays Laurentian, and then I can't find anything on him. Yeah. It's interesting how guys kind of, for lack of a better phrase, kind of drop off the face of the earth like that, right? Like, especially guys that were, you know, like him that had, you know, a good junior career, and, and it's just like, what happened? And I mean, you know, some guys, you know, some guys walk away from it. I mean, that's just what it is. And mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just interesting how often you see stuff like this happen. So let's see. The two guys that we finish off this, I think most listeners know what happened to them if they're our age. But again, for our younger audience, let's fill them in. Keith Primo, third overall pick by Detroit in that year's draft, had 619 points in 909 NHL games of 2006 with Detroit, Hartford, Carolina and Philadelphia. His son Caden, of course, is a goalie prospect with the Montreal Canadiens. Then Eric Lindros. 149 points, 57 games in 1990-1991. 38 points in the playoffs. Some team that had his rights before beat him in the league final. I'm not saying you hate to see it, but you love to see it. He was CHL and OHL MVP. 17.7 games at the World Juniors. 
First pick by Quebec does go to Quebec. Instead, that year plays all over Canada Cup, World Juniors, um, the Olympics, Oshawa, gets dealt to Philly. Uh, before retiring in 2007, 865 points in 760 NHL games, makes the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2017. He was okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of decent. Almost got dealt to the Rangers instead of Philly. And There's also that incredible stuff. rumor I saw where he was going to be involved in an Alexander Dagg deal, which was wild. Yeah, yeah, Alexander Dig. Oh man, um, <laughs> a bust, but not as big a bust as some people think he was. Just maybe a little take on that. Yeah, bring me in for the next show of this podcast. Anyway, um, so that basically wraps up all my notes here. At least the last question, Brad. I think I know the answer. Would you recommend this game? One hundred million percent. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, you know what, it's, I mean, for the obvious reasons of it's Eric Lindros playing junior, it's Keith Primo playing junior, but I mean, just strictly based on, you know, just strictly based on how different the hockey was back then, it's, these games are fun to watch just for that, um, you know, I have a, I have a, you know, hard time you know, seeing how different it is in some cases just because, you know, stuff that happens then, and we talked about it the whole show, I mean, there are hits in that game that would never happen now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's stuff that gets, that doesn't get called in that game that would 100% get called now. Um, You know, it's just such a different brand of hockey, a different style of hockey, and you know what? If you have opportunities to watch this kind of stuff, 100% take the time and you know, and watch it. I mean, this is the history of the game. Like, I wish we could, you know, I was getting it when the pandemic first started. I was getting a kick out of watching old NHL games on TSN and Sportsnet, you know. I mean, them showing, you know, I think it was the, the 1980 NHL All-Star game in Detroit, you know. Like, seeing stuff like that, it's just it's super interesting because you see it's how just how different it is compared to what we're used to now, whether it's, the play on the ice of the TV broadcast, hundred percent. I would recommend something like this. There is a lot of old games I still want them to put on YouTube. That's another story for another day. <laughs> Nineteen ninety-three Mem Cup final um, yeah. games from the eighties, which I'm sure no one has the rights to. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, what I recommend is yeah, like you, hundred uh, percent. It's cool to see a lot of the guys like you mentioned, the Lindros and the Primos, but guys like Di Pietro and Slaney, especially. Yeah. Um, Jack Miller's in prime Jack Miller form as well. Yep. And as you mentioned, 1991 is floating around and the TSN game show. I am sure at some point down the line we're going to be doing that as a follow-up. Yeah, I think that's a pretty that's a pretty safe bet. Um, you know, and let's face it, 1990 Memorial Cup final, Mike Tarkia, Eric Lindros, Bill Armstrong, Bill Armstrong, you know, Bill Armstrong's winning goal, which Mike Torquia said, it got deflected on its way to the net. Um, Paul Romanek with the craziest, slash greatest line ever going to a commercial break. Yeah. Um, you know, if we ever get that, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it's a safe bet. We know some of the games that you and I will be doing on this show down the road, uh, if we can get them. Exactly. I think that game actually is on YouTube, the 1990 Memorial Cup Final. Merry Christmas! <laughs> wow, if it is, and actually... I'm pretty sure, because I saw a two-part clip I like think, the 91 game. 
I think you are right. I think I may have just found it because I was curious. You, you, I'm, you probably watched that live, I'm assuming. I, I think I did. Like, I, I mean, it, again, I was eight years old at the time. Oh, I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, this looks like it. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is definitely it. I don't know if we're watching it. At, I don't know if we're doing it for when I see you in a couple weeks, but it will yeah. definitely be a future episode. Hundred percent, it will be. All right. Well, Brad, thanks for doing this. You will be back on in a few weeks when I'm back home. Uh, it's Friday. You don't close the Sioux border. Um, with my brother Brett, you know what we're doing, but I'm not giving it away publicly yet. So you'll have to tune in to yeah. find out what that episode is. Looking forward to it. All right. If you want to hear other episodes of the show, including Brad's previous appearances discussing some IHL hockey from the 90s, fine episode that was. Yes, it was. Along with the 19... I almost said 1999. No, that was not the 1999 Eastern Conference Final in the OHL. The 2009 <laughs> Eastern Conference Final between Belleville and Brampton. You can. Those are episodes number five and episode number 15, by the way. Uh, you can listen to those. Uh, directly, just search for the Listen Sports Podcast or go to anchor.fm slash lucas Funkari. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon. Well, what do we do next? Uh, bring in the West All-Star team, make it a round robin, a, a little showcase for uh, uh, perhaps a, a network TV deal, Jack. Well, I think that's already in the works from what I understand. They talk about getting uh, Quebec, the West, and Ontario together in a round robin format and possibly even bring in, say, the Soviet national junior team uh, or a club team from over there. So these things are already getting kicked around when you have this kind of a, of a show and you have a sellout crowd, as we do in Cornwall tonight, of about four thousand people and if you're going to get that kind of response why not make it bigger why not make it better and let's face facts uh, we don't get to see the Western Hockey League except on rare occasion and I would love to see uh, some of the names that uh, we hear bandied around uh, out there to come here and play us or we go there and play them <laughs> bosses don't want to hear us say that their, their old expense account uh, vibes go nuts but at the same time it's worthwhile I think I'd love to see it. Well, a sold-out house, a goal-tending clinic, a, a heck of a hockey game, all the ingredients for uh, a night that uh, really makes this great sport of hockey uh, what it is, uh, what it's all about. As for just the second time in the five-year history of the Ontario Hockey League, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League All-Star Series, the Ontario Hockey League stars emerge victorious by a final score tonight of three to nothing.